If you're loving the podcast and you feel like the blog posts on my website are great and helpful and all, but you're still struggling with step family life and just feel like you'd benefit from individualized support and an individualized plan to help you navigate your own unique challenges, I've got you. This spring, I've opened up some more space in my calendar to work with stepmoms one-on-one. So if you want to book a coaching call with me or even sign up for a longer term one-on-one coaching package, you have the option to do so. So you can head to www.jamiescrimger.com forward slash coaching to book your call. I love working with stepmoms one-on-one and just hearing the unique situation, their unique struggles, and creating a plan that works for them. Again, head to www.jamiescrimger.com forward slash coaching if you'd like to book a call. Welcome to the Kick-Ass Stepmom Podcast. I'm Jamie Scrimger, wife, mom, stepmom, life coach, conversation opener, and BS caller. Seven years ago, I found myself sitting on the bathroom floor with a glass of wine, bawling my eyes out, wondering what the heck I was thinking, marrying a man with three kids and an ex-wife. Don't get me wrong. I was madly in love. The kids were great. But as a 26-year-old with zero experience in the parenting department, I was in over my head. When I went to the internet for support, I was disappointed with what I found. So I decided to create the type of support that I was looking for. Raw and real conversations about all things motherhood, stepmotherhood, and living a kick-ass life. Life can be hard, really freaking hard, but each week I'll bring you tips and strategies and mindset shifts to help you thrive amongst the tough stuff in life. My goal is to inspire you to live your version of a kick-ass life. We'll bring you along as I create my own. Let's do this. Hey guys, welcome back to the podcast. So I am going to start this episode out by sharing a little bit of a story. A few months ago, I received an email from a publisher that I had recently been connected with, and she was just asking me to review and write a little forward for a book coming out by an author, Jamie Murray. The book is called, or was called, is called, How Many Kids Do You Have? Now, she told me that Jamie's a stepmom and went on to talk about our connections and how this would be a really good fit. And I was like, yeah, sounds great, but I'm going to be super straight. I have been asked to do this a few times and I've always said no, mostly because I don't know who the person is and it's time consuming to dive into a book and someone's brand. And I don't endorse people and content that I'm not familiar with. I need to do my research. My word is so important to me and I just don't recommend anything or anyone that I wouldn't recommend to my best friends. It's just as simple as that. And right now where we're at with my family and business and life, I've just adopted that rule that's so popular right now. It's like, if it's not a hell yes, it is a no. So this originally was a no. I ended up ignoring the email, not intentionally, but life just got busy and I didn't have a chance to write back. And then the author, Jamie, ended up reaching out to me personally. And I scrolled down and I started to skim a copy of the book that was attached to the email. And I kid you not, by just reading one page of the introduction, I scrolled up, replied, yep, I'll take a read and we need to get you on the podcast. Stop. This book is the real deal. And today Jamie is on the podcast and I did actually end up writing the forward to the book. Here's the scoop on Jamie. Jamie Murray is a writer as well as a CFO at a commercial construction company that she owns and operates with her husband in San Antonio, Texas. Jamie is a, became a mother at 17 years old and then went on to earn a bachelor's degree in sociology and a master's degree in women's studies. And before becoming an entrepreneur and an author, Jamie was a high school English teacher for many, many years. 
Now, when this single mom married her now husband, she became a stepmom to two, and they now have a daughter together as well. So they have a true blended family. Jamie spends her days juggling the demands of running a family and a company while building a brand centered around saying out loud what blended families all over the world are managing in silence. I'm going to back that truck up and I'm going to say that again. Jamie is building a brand centered around saying out loud what blended families all over the world are managing in silence. This book is raw and honest and aspirational and relatable, and it's a conversation that is so necessary. I haven't finished it all yet, but everything that I have read has been so bang on. So today I'm interviewing Jamie all about what inspired her to write this book, some of the horror stories she shares in the book, what it was really like for them blending their families together, what she's learned along the way, and what she thinks that we need to start talking about when it comes to blended families. This is such a good episode. I'm so excited to introduce you to Jamie. Guys, if this resonates with you, if you like this episode, if you were like, oh my gosh, finally someone gets it, share this with a friend. Share it out on social. Tag at how many kids do you have? Tag at Jamie Scrimger. Let us know what hits home. I cannot tell you how much I love hearing from you. And again, I cannot recommend this book enough. You need to get yourself a copy. All right, let's dive in. All right, Jamie, welcome to the podcast. I'm so excited to have you here. Me too. Thank you so yes. much. Seriously, thank you. Yeah, you know, I was diving into your book um, today and a couple of weeks ago as well. And I'm not even like I'm a few chapters through and I have so many questions. Like, I'm so excited to, I'm, I'm like, you know what? I'm going to wait till I get the real copy in my hand to like dive through the whole book. But, you know, from what I've gone through right now, you have, you're just, you're so real. And that's what I think is so important in this space where there's a lot of, there's a lot of sugarcoating about what stepmom life is like and blended family life is like. And then on the other side, there's just a lot of negativity. And I feel like where we're lacking is that there doesn't seem to be just that in between, let's be real, the shit is hard. Uh, Sometimes it's good. Sometimes it's freaking crazy. But like, this is our life and let's normalize it. Absolutely. And that is really where I was coming from. I... And we've been doing this 10 years now. And I, um, gosh, in the beginning, as I've heard you say too, you know, so many times, you're just looking for resources. You're looking for something that says, is everyone doing this? <laughs> is this just mm-hmm. me? Am I crazy? Are we crazy? Is this worth it? Did we all destroy everyone's lives? And we need something that says, yes, it's really hard, but that's okay. And Mm -hmm. that's, you know, I wanted to give that to people because I couldn't find it. You know, I found it very early on in starting this book process specifically. I kept telling everyone that I was talking to, like, I, this is not going to be a seven step guide to how to fix your blended family. This is not going to be read this and everything is going to be okay. I wanted exactly the opposite. I wanted everyone to read this and go, okay, it's not actually always going to be okay. And that's okay. 
Mm-hmm. Yeah, I love it. So before we dive into all the questions that I have for you, can you share a little bit about, just give us the Coles Notes versions of your family. Like how did you guys come to be? And uh, yeah, let's let's start there. Okay. So how many kids do you have, right? Um, we, I met my husband. He had two toddlers at the time. I had a 12-year-old. Um, and then within the first couple of years, we added um, our daughter together. So we have four total now. Um, they all have lived very different lives, um, very different schedules, very different everything. So that's kind of where we came from, you know, 10 years ago, just going, ah, okay, well, let's do this. Let's do this. And so when you guys first started dating in your book, you talk about how it's a bit of a facade, like when you're dating or can you just elaborate on that a little bit? Uh, Cause I thought that was really, it was really interesting, especially when you're dealing with an ex and you're kind of sharing a little bit about your family dynamic. It is kind of like your resume, right? Like you put your best foot forward and maybe you don't fully understand what you're getting yourself into. Yes. And I think it happens in every new relationship. You know, I mean, mm-hmm. I'm, I don't really remember a time without kids, but I'm sure there was one. Um, but <laughs> Anytime I've dated someone, that beginning is just, you know, you really see the best of that person. You're giving the best. You don't know all the idiosyncrasies yet. You don't know what, well, what makes them tick or just flip their shit, quite frankly. You know, you just, Mm -hmm. you have to have time to learn that person. But when you are including children so early on, immediately, it's like you're learning this person but with a million little eyes on you at every minute. So you never get that chance to just be, you know, you never get that chance to, to learn what life would be like if it were just the two of you. Mm-hmm. And that is something that, that my husband and I have talked about so many times. Of course, you know, we're planning and dreaming of 20 years from now, we'll finally get some time, you know, where maybe it'll just be us and we get to walk around the house naked. Uh, but in the beginning, especially in blended families, you know, there's, there's history. And I think we have to normalize the fact that we're coming together as strangers, truly, mm-hmm. even though it feels familiar, even though these children are involved, you're still really just two strangers trying to figure each other out while also raising children and making sure that they have their needs met and making sure they're comfortable with this new relationship. You know, it's, so you're giving to everyone around you and it takes a while to, to learn really who that person is. And then on top of it, you've got exes involved, right? You've got other people. And so um, I give one story in the book of hearing my husband talk on the phone with his ex and the very, you know, his first few months of dating and going, okay, everything seems okay. And then that almost made me more uncomfortable. (laughs) Why should that Mm -hmm. make me uncomfortable? But it did because you kind of want to see, wait, what's, what's wrong? Why did this happen? What were all these reasons? Um, And of course you have plenty of time to find all of that out, but you don't really know all of the history in the beginning. Mm -hmm. That's so true. And I think that also, your partner will try to 
they, they, they sugarcoat it a little bit, right? Like in dealing, like they're not going to be like, we are in a crazy court battle and this is, you know, what this looks like. I, I remember, you know, even the, before we got married the year up to when Darren and I were like getting married and he was getting his divorce and all of this stuff, he now tells me how much he just hid from me in terms of the struggles that were going on behind the scenes with the legal stuff. And he's just like, I just didn't want to burden you with it. And it's like, or you didn't want me to know about it. <laughs> it's like, like there's, there's also that piece. Like there is a bit of a facade going on and they're trying to move forward and start their new life. while their old life is still very much present. Yes. And I think there's shame, there's embarrassment, you know, I mean, there's all these feelings that, you know, I think that my husband was then grappling with, like, you know, I've just, you know, he was only three months really divorced. They had apparently, I was not there, had been separated before that for quite some time, but only legally divorced three months when we met. And so mm-hmm. he in his head had moved forward, but not everyone in the relationships had, you know, so there were mm-hmm. kids involved still and there was an ex and there were lots of raw feelings and very fresh hurts. And not knowing all of those pieces left me more confused some days. Going, wait a minute, what, why is why do we have these dynamics? I don't understand. Why did this that. happen? Yes. Um, mm-hmm. And again, it's it's really bizarre that you can fall in love so easily and so quickly, but yet it takes so much time to work into being honest and real and open with each other. Mm-hmm. Yeah. And it's interesting. I like how you said there's a bit of shame and embarrassment there. Like you don't want people to know that, that part of your history and, and what that looks like. But, you know, in the introduction of your book, you say, we tend to believe that love is going to be enough, but it's not. The difficulty of blending two families into one is sorely underestimated. We say, I wouldn't have the hard stuff if it changed where we are today, but that's a lie. It's really hard. I would definitely give up some of it. And that's what I really love because, you know, when reading this book, people will say, well, you know, this, the hard stuff shapes us into who we are today. I wouldn't change anything for the world. It's like, no, you would sometimes change some of it. Like that was pretty shitty. (laughs) Like that was really hard. Like you would, you would not have those hard days and I think that it's really important to acknowledge that, right? Like it's not all great. It is not, it's normal to think about what life would be like if you didn't have these extra stressors. Absolutely. It's normal to feel sad for that too. And Mm -hmm. it's normal to question, you know, we both brought kids into the mix. And so then there were days where we were just like, is this, did we, did we just screw everything up even more? <laughs> did we just, mm-hmm. um, by what we thought was creating something great and beautiful and our love truly blinds us a bit in the beginning. And, and you really are ill equipped at that time to know how to handle it all. Mm-hmm. And that's the piece that I, I think people need to say more. Because if we really can't open up a dialogue in our world about blended families and what that culture looks like, it's very different. And if we can't get rid of some of the shame, if we can't say, okay, remember when that happened? That was bad. That was hard. And then if we can't know and 
I wrote the book really under the assumption that we were not the only people doing this. Um, mm-hmm. And, you know, and I know that to be true. So yeah, it's the dynamics in a blended family are just so multifaceted and layered in a, in a way. And I'm better now. So I do better now, but there are things I am so embarrassed of. You know, there are things that I carry shame around going, Jesus, Jamie, why? Why did you need to say that? Why did you need to do that? Um, Mm -hmm. And yeah. It's a learning piece though, right? Like you don't know what you don't know. And I think that as you go through the whole process of blending your family, like I will say, I remember reading at the very beginning that it takes seven years to really fully feel like you guys have like totally found your groove and really feel, you know, quote unquote blended, if you will. And I remember at the beginning thinking, I'm like, no, we're great. Like this, this is what's happening. And looking back and going, no, actually we really weren't. And there is some truth to that. Like as you get on and as time passes, you realize how much more secure and how much more you understand about that blended family dynamic that you just can't see at the beginning. Like you literally just can't see because you haven't been through all of those ebbs and flows. Yes. And then you're shocked as hell every time they come around. Mm -hmm. And then, you know, then that's when you're questioning yourself. That's when you're going, oh my God, what, why is this happening? What did, you know, are we not in love? Is this not real? And it is, it's just, for lack of a better word, hard. Yeah, no, for sure. And well, the one thing is in the book, at the very beginning, you talked about how blended families are the new normal and to find success, we need to feel safe and cultivate open perspectives and let those dirty details out. We're not alone, but we're living in the shadows. And you go on to talk about schools and doctors and extended families and even friends and how they're just not equipped to deal with blended families yet, even though it's so normal. And I was like, holy shit. Yeah. Like even like, what's your experience been like with schools and doctors and and, and that kind of thing? Because everything is, you know, I even sometimes my steps, I'm like, can you call and like set this up for me? I'm like, I actually can't like, um, I would love to, um, but you know, your dad needs to do that or your dad needs to sign that or I'm just the stepmom. And sometimes we joke around about that, but what's your experience been with just the greater society and like how everything is set up, how they deal with blended families? I am significantly shocked at how unprepared all of our industries are for us. I mean, it's insane, really. You know, like I find school, we'll take school for number one, right? Um, Just filling out paperwork can be such a shit show. And we're in, um, we're in the same school district, but we fall in different schools. So for example, there was a point when my biological daughter's um, information had somehow got switched in their systems at the school district. And um, my daughter's paperwork was going to his ex-wife's house. And at the time I was like, what the hell? You know? Yeah. <laughs> you know, it, it just, it elicits this rage that looking back, I'm like, that was so stupid. It's really not a big deal. It's some pieces of paper at someone else's house, but it just fueled my years of frustration of why people can't even understand how there should be maybe more than two parent contacts on, on paperwork, mm-hmm. um, you know, or going to the doctor, even we, um, have so many situ- scenarios where all of the information just gets changed, right? You go in and I carry the primary insurance for all of our kids. 
So I have to be on there. And then they would see biological mom information and they would remove all of my information and then tell me, oh, well, you owe all this money because insurance didn't clear. Well, I know insurance didn't clear because you changed all the paperwork, <laughs> you know, like it, it's silly, but it's hours out of your week. It's, you know, these scenarios that shouldn't be that hard for the world to get. Right. But, mm-hmm. but the infrastructure isn't there even for us, um, you know, and then families. Right. So you go to your family's house and you do your best, but some family members accept it more. Some families don't accept it as much. And, and you're bridging the gap between these worlds constantly. Mm-hmm. In yeah, every facet. Sure. Yeah, that reminds me of an incident that we had. So the kids all go to the same dentist and so do the kid's mom. And, or so does the kid's mom. So on Darren carries the insurance for all of the kids. But then because the kids would be on the same account as their mom, I would get notifications of her appointment. Or there was times when like I'd get notifications for my stepson's appointment when she's taking them. Or I would see on my sheet her next appointment. It's like, I'm like, can you take her off of this? And said, no, well, she needs to be on it because of the kids. I'm like, that's fine. I'm like, but I'm, I'm Reese's mom. Right. So can Reese and I have our own, like, like, like our family can have this and their family, like, can we just separate this? And it's like, well, that's not how the system works. It's like, well, maybe we need to reevaluate how this system works. Cause I'm pretty sure we're not the own only blended family where alerts are not going to the right person. Like, can we please, you know, and I find it very frustrating it's not their fault, but it's just, again, that, that when it comes to blended families, nothing simple. Everything is just a little bit more complicated. And that's why I really like when you said, it's like, actually, it's how a lot of the systems are set up within our society that just makes things a little more complicated. So even, you know, uh, extracurricular sports. And at the very beginning, you have to say, can you please put my um, wife on the email so that I can stay up to date where it's like, that's just, why is there not three or four contacts for every kid? Because this is the norm. Yes. And then one parent gets left off and someone doesn't know what's going on. And it, then you're infighting in the two homes because someone thinks that it was intentional and someone's pissed about something. Yeah. Always. yeah it, it's hard. And, and it's not what, what I'm really fascinated by now, I think feeling more healed, feeling more prepared to handle our family. Now what I'm fascinated by is that all of these little things elicit something so much deeper than what that little thing is, you know? So yeah, it's super annoying when your daughter's paperwork goes to your husband's ex-wife. Yes. It's super annoying when you get mail at your house in his ex-wife's name. Like how did that even happen? You know, you should drive me insane. (laughs) (laughs) Right. But what's fascinating now to me is that processing a lot of my, I'll be honest, hatred, (laughs) processing a lot of that insecurity has now let me look back at the situations and go, wow, that was so not about the paperwork. That was so not about that text message reminder for that appointment. That was so about the frustration of feeling like you still can't create your own home. You still can't Mm -hmm. run your own family the way that you want to. And it's so hard to put words to that in the moment. Yeah. Yeah. That's so true. It's not about, 
It's not about the email. Like it's just about all of the things that email represents, I guess, which leads me to one of the things, another thing in the book that really hit home and says, you know, you talk about in the book, how it's important to come to terms with the fact that your family started years before you met your partner. And I think that's a really, really tough pill to swallow, but it's so important. And I, I talk about this a lot. I'm like, you know, as stepmoms, you need to just accept the fact that your family is not going to function like a first family. And as soon as you accept that and wrap your head around that, everything feels a little bit easier because it's it's just that acceptance piece. So what was that like for you? Just that accepting that your, your family started before you were a part of it. I fought it for many years, honestly. I didn't want to believe that that was true. I went in, I mean, again, the shame, right? I went in almost believing I could become their mom. You know, mm-hmm. I'll be there. I'll be that mom. I'll be the mom here. And you realize I don't know. For some of us, we realize it quickly. For some of us, it takes many years, but that's never going to be the case. Mm -hmm. And you are going to be relegated to dynamics that were created before your current relationship ever existed. You're going to be held to those standards. You know, that divorce decree that was created when two people were at their very worst as humans, that's going to dictate your life too now. (laughs) And I think that I know for me personally, I went in and I say it several times, but I went in really thinking, you know, but, but this love, this love is so special. This love, right. This is the bond. This is the one that was going to fix everything. And we weren't going to have any problems because our children were just going to know how much we love each other. And it was just going to be wonderful and beautiful. And it is when we let it be and when we grow, but that's not the first natural instinct. Mm-hmm. And that's not how it is at the beginning. No. I actually always yeah. say, if you can get through those first years in your blended family, those are the hardest years. Those are, That's the tough stuff. And just getting through those early times. And if you're really you know, committed to that personal growth, things get so much easier. It's like, what do they say when it comes to like, when you're married, I think it's like seven years, you get into like, like that seven year hump when you're in a first family where like everything is kind of like, uh, like you start to have your issues when you're in blended family, there's no honeymoon stage. It's just at the very beginning. Like all of a sudden it's like you say I do. And it's like shit show, right? Like everything just Absolutely. like comes to the forefront. Cause you're like, Oh my gosh, this is life. Okay. Got it. Now, which that leads me to, I want to know what, what was it like when you first met the ex? Can you share that story? Cause it's, it's, it's heavy. It's real. <laughs> it was real. So my husband and I had, um, then boyfriend had been dating several months at that point, probably about six months, knew that it was getting serious, knew where we were headed. And we were at a T-ball game, right? So I don't, I mean, I'm from Texas, Texas, little league sports. It is a culture in its own. Let me tell you, mm-hmm. and I'm sure it's everywhere, but we're in my region. It's baseball. It is all about little league and baseball. And so we were out in the T-ball field. My husband has always coached his kids. And so it was little league. He was out. He's out there warming up with his son. I have his little girl with me. I have my son with me. 
and she has to go to the restroom. So I take her and as I'm coming out, this woman is running up to me, tears streaming down her face, just bawling, grabs her daughter from me, runs back up to the bleachers, is telling all the moms how upset she is that I was there. She didn't know I was going to be there. Did she say anything to you? Not then. After, you know, we kind of, my my son and I was kind of looking at me like, what the hell, mom? Like, what are you doing? What are you getting us into right now? I'm like, oh, no, kid. (laughs) But we, um, yeah, so all of our stuff was still back. We went and got it. We end up sitting out in the outfield for the rest of the game just to attempt to make peace and not exist in the world. Um, And then she at some point came back up to me um, and had some words and said, you know, something along the lines of um, he, I'm sorry, she was apologizing for acting like that, but also crying and saying he'll leave you like he did me someday. And it was intense. And so I put that story in there. I have absolutely having talked to her about it and she was okay with it because it's real. And, and what, Mm. what I really wanted to use that story to, to help us all understand is that those first introductions matter. And it's easy for me to look back now and say, gosh, we really screwed that up. Like we should not have done it that way. You know, she, she should have known that I was coming. My husband should have not stuck his head in the sand and, and not had those conversations. I should have demanded that we do it in a more respectful manner. You know, it didn't need to be done in public like that and expected. Mm-hmm. And again, but that's all, that's why we don't talk about it because we make bad choices and it's embarrassing when we make those bad choices, but we're not alone in them. You know I mean? Who has, who has a good first meeting story? I don't know anyone. Well, I think it's the people who plan it out. Actually, right, exactly. I think the people yeah. who plan it out and, you know, I'm thinking about this and I know there's going to be people who are listening to this and step I'm saying, well, she had a right to be there. They split up. She can go all of those things. And I get that 100%. But I think that's where you need to check your ego and say, put yourself in other people's shoes and say, like, how do we do this in the most respectful, best way possible? And that's where it's tricky and it's hard because you don't even really know. And There's so many different contributing factors. Some exes, I would say, wouldn't even give you permission to come if you gave them too much permission to have an opinion. Absolutely. So that's, again, why there's really no one-size-fits-all approach. But, man, like I remember thinking back to when I don't think we ever had, like, a formal introduction at all. But I remember, and and I did a blog post on this years ago when I first started blogging. So I had not met the kids yet. I was staying here. The kids were at, I was staying at the house we live in now. Uh, The kids were with their mom and my husband had now gone, had gone to work and we weren't married at the time. And I was leaving a little bit later, you know, at the very beginning of your relationship, when you're on like cloud nine, it's like, even just your drives to work are better. Right. You know, I was like windows down, music on commuting back to work, like just so in love And we have a long driveway and you can't see the end of the driveway from the house. So you have to kind of go around this corner and I wheel around and at the end of the driveway is my husband's ex-wife's car and she has the kids there because they were catching the bus and my husband had forgot to tell me the timing or whatever had happened. I was like, 
whoa shit. Hadn't met her yet. She had just maybe found out that we were dating. So I literally reverse back down the driveway, hoping she didn't hear me, hid my car behind a fe- behind the fence and just sat there. I was like, whoa, my gosh, <laughs> like, what do I do? I need to get to work, but I am not driving past that car. 100% not. Anyway, uh, I text my husband and he actually got a text from her too, saying like, you can tell your little girlfriend I see her. <laughs> of course he like, did. Shit. So yeah, I think we all have our early, you know, I was literally hiding behind a fence. <laughs> yep. 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 Sitting in the outfield with my son. It just oh. is. And, and you know, the, the thing is we don't know what's right until we've done what's wrong. So mm-hmm. You know, we now, now I can tell anyone else not how not to do it. But at the Mm -hmm. time, it's so easy to get wrapped up in that relationship. You know, like you said, you're so in love. Like the world is glowing for you that it's so hard to understand that maybe it's not for other people. Yeah. (laughs) Um, And what, and and to really have empathy, you know, I, I talk a lot about, and this is, I think where I may, I made, change in our family, true change, is that I helped everyone else with their personal growth. You know, I've I've been in and out of counseling, honestly, with everyone in my family. I mean, I have sat in counseling sessions with my husband's ex-wife and their kids and our daughter. Like we, you know, we have attempted throughout the years to come together when the kids aren't doing well and when they need extra Mm -hmm. support. And what I realized is that, you know, my husband and and my son, I sat in counseling sessions with them too, to help that relationship. But what I realized at some point a few years ago is that I never did that for myself. Mm -hmm. So I never went to counseling just for me. I never focused on how I could change what I was doing, how I was responding, because it feels so much like you have to control and help and fix everyone else that you forget or you don't believe that you really only have control over yourself. Yeah. And that has been a game changer in my world to truly embrace that idea that regardless of how my husband is or isn't responding, regardless of, of what we're managing you know, and have had to manage with his ex-wife, regardless of what any of the kids are feeling or thinking, I have to work on me and I have to be Mm -hmm. responsible for my own responses and how I'm contributing to these situations. And it's really hard to do. It is really hard to do because it's easy to blame everyone else for the dynamic, right? They're not respecting what our blended family looks like. They're not respecting my role you know, the kids are doing this. My husband's not doing that. It's just, but yeah, at the end of the day, when you really get to the point where you're like, oh yeah, this is actually just on me and my reactions and my expectations and just letting that go. It, it's really freeing, really. It is. It's scary before you do it. You don't know that it's going to be freeing. Mm-hmm. You feel like, you know, you feel like what little bit of con- control you have is that control that's absolutely necessary for your sanity. You know, it's one of those very sort of idealistic theories of really letting go of something gives you so much more. Yeah. But it's very hard to see in the moment. 
Yeah. You know, people take my, I, I have a coaching program. It's kick-ass stepmom, kick-ass life. And there's eight or nine modules. And I just kind of walk through everyone, walk everyone through the, the work that I've done and what my coaching process looks like. It's just kind of your, a do it yourself. And every single time they come in, it's, they think it's going to be focusing on the acts and focusing on their stepkids and all the things that everyone else is doing. And we don't even get into that until, you know, I think module five or something like that. And that's always such a surprise for people. And I think you get to the point where you're like, I don't know if this is for me. Like this is, this doesn't work for our situation because this is about them. And I'm always like, no, hold up, keep going, keep going. And when you check your reactions and your boundaries and your mindset and your expectations, that's when you're, you really start to see things in a different way. And yeah, like you said, it's hard. Uh, There's a lot of resistance there, but it's so freeing. Yes. Stay the course. If you're a stepmom, chances are it's been challenging. You've experienced emotions that you didn't see coming. You've felt like you have no control over your life, like you're good enough until you're not. Maybe you're not on the same page as your partner when it comes to kids and the ex. Maybe you're triggered by the ex. Maybe you feel helpless because you want to protect your partner, but you're learning that you can't fix what you didn't break. Stepmoms often struggle to find their place. They find themselves in this place of competition and comparison and resentment and feeling overwhelmed. I'm not trying to be negative. I hear this from stepmoms every single day. I've also felt this way myself until one day I made the decision that this was not going to be my life. Chances are you don't want to feel this way either, but you don't know where to start. That's where I come in. I created a guide for stepmoms who are craving change. It's an audit on your stepfamily life with 16 questions that I think that every single stepmom should ask themselves. If you answer the questions honestly and give this audit the time and attention it deserves, it will kickstart change that you're looking for. You can download it via www.jamiescrimger.com forward slash stepmom audit. When you do, I'll send you the links for some other free guides too. I've got the secret to improving your stepfamily life and how to co-parent with a high conflict ex. Again, Get your copy at www.jamiescrimger.com forward slash stepmom audit. Let's go back to the T-ball field for a second. I want to dive into what happened when a woman walked up to you in the bathroom at the very beginning, because I think this is also very telling as well. Oh, that story. Yes. So... You're like, there's so many stories. I know. At that point, we were maybe a year in. um, We actually lived together, so we had to have been more than that. But I I had just moved there to the town where he lived, my husband lived. Um, And yes, I was in the bathroom. Again, I don't know what it is with bathrooms and t-ball games, but people always got something to say. Um, Mm -hmm. So I'm in the bathroom again with one of the kids and helping them the kid, the, um, I believe it was my stepdaughter. She walks out of the restroom. There was another mother there. So someone who was in the community, another mom at the t-ball game. And she actually said to me standing there, those I've known those kids since they were babies and they're never going to be yours. Oh, so a stranger now wants to tell me how unimportant I am and that I will never matter. Thank you. Thank you. I was not feeling that enough in my life. Yeah. Thank you Uh, so much. (laughs) Yes, that was necessary. And I was 
what do you say, right? You don't see these things coming. So you don't know how to respond. Um, I think I just probably started crying and left, but it's amazing. And it, and honestly, it turned out that woman really didn't even know them, right? Just, it was a small town and small towns do not accept newcomers. That's just the way it is. And it takes mm-hmm. lots of time. You know, I had to earn my street cred, if you will, to even belong there. Again, didn't, you know, I didn't know that that was going to be like that. I didn't know that that piece was going to be so hard that, you know, it's enough that you have to have an ex-wife accept you in some way. You have to have your stepkids accept you. You have to have your kid accept the situation. You have to re, you know, uproot your entire life. And then you have to deal with strangers still telling you that you don't really belong there. Yeah. And that goes back to the very beginning when we were talking about how society just doesn't even really know what to do with, with stepmoms and stepfamilies. And I always think about this though, when you get situations like that and some women can be brutal to the new stepmom or, you know, especially I found that, especially in my situation, there were some women who were super open and kind and welcoming and it was amazing. And then there were women who were so judgmental and they would say things like that, like similar to your T-ball bathroom situation. And it really comes down to, I think, what you represent for them, right? It's, it's far more about them, maybe their insecurities. Maybe you represent their worst fear, right? Absolutely. Something that's maybe happening in their marriage. And like, it's just, it's really, really interesting how females respond to the stepmoms or other moms respond to the stepmoms, if you will. Yes. Yes. I was ill prepared for that. Um, I did not see that one coming. It does touch on, I think their insecurities and it's super important in that moment to be able to recognize that. I don't know if it's possible to be able to recognize that in the moment because these Mm -hmm. things just get thrown at you so quickly. And so off the cuff, it, how can you be prepared for it? But after it happens once <laughs> or twice, um, then I think we can get better at understanding this. This is not me. Like we, we have to stop internalizing the world's uncomfortableness with our families, with our mm-hmm. roles. And, and as we stop internalizing what we see and feel in the world, we can get more comfortable in our space. And then when we become more comfortable and stepmoms become more comfortable, they start talking about it more and then it normalizes that conversation. So I think that's really where change starts. Now let's talk about child support. So you talk in the book a lot about um, just the process of child support and the resentment that can happen around child support and just that whole piece of your partner's past, right? That is very much a monthly bill sometimes or your, or your part. Yeah. Your partner's past. You talked about how you can resent it and you can be frustrated about it, or you can accept it. And I know that that's going to resonate with a lot of stepmoms because it can get really frustrated. The, the child support system is very unfair. I do think, especially to two fathers who are the primary breadwinner. How did you, wrap your head around that and, and, and process that situation. So in the very beginning, 
as we created our family and all of our just household dynamics, I took on paying the bills. Um, my husband is not the best person at deadlines. And that seems like the smartest thing to do. Um, so I have always managed all of our bills and I took on child support. So obviously he works, it's his money. You know, we both work, but it's not like I'm paying his child support, but I am the one responsible on a monthly basis for making that payment along with every other payment in our house. I actually, um, you know, I also write about my son's um, biological father disappearing at a very young age. And I never got child support. I never received it. And so it was one of those things I tried, you know, in the very beginning, sometimes I'd be crying and, and I don't even know why I did it to myself. I don't know why at some point I just didn't say, you know what, I can't handle this one. You have to. But at the time it seemed petty. It seemed like I shouldn't say you're going to pay this one bill and I'm going to pay all everything else. So for better or for worse, I don't know what, what's right or wrong, but I didn't say that. And I accepted that piece. Um, and it was frustrating. It was frustrating to see, you know, like we are, you know, not only do we have this child support bill that was at one point actually bigger than our mortgage and still paying for other things, right? And still mm -hmm. buying all the stuff at home and still and, and, and juxtaposing that with the fact that I never received it myself, I had to really dive deep. And the first few years, it was hard. Well, even more than the first few years, just financially, we were strapped. You know, we didn't meet each other with a lot of money. We had just gone through a very expensive divorce and I was a single mom. I was a teacher, you know? <laughs> so for many years, we were on a very strapped budget and that made it harder, you know, because the resentments when, when you feel like, oh gosh, we're giving here, but we don't have here you know, mm -hmm. this to do extra. And it took me many years before I really appreciated that the child support that I also was owed and deserved. She is also owed and deserved. And just because I didn't get it, didn't mean that the basis of it wasn't good. And what it allowed for my husband, you know, he agreed to a sizely child support payment, mostly because, and this is his story, I would, you know, not mine, but mostly because in front of the Texas judge, the judge was making him feel like the only reason that he wanted half custody was to get out of child support. His solution was, fuck it, I'll pay full child support and have my kids half the time because I don't want them to ever feel like money had anything to do with me wanting mm -hmm. them and to be their dad and to be there for them. And so uh, another perfect example, right, of how our family dynamics were created before we were there, um, mm -hmm. right? So I really came to appreciate, though, that that money gave him peace of mind. You know, like it, it let him know that his kids were taken care of well, you know, and, and more than taken care of, you know, they, we could afford with two incomes, we could afford to do some things on the weekends. You know, it, it made sense then after a few years that she should be able to afford that too. You know, it, it isn't so much, I had to start looking at it as this is not, this is child support, right? It's in, built into the name, it's child support. 
It's not ex-spouse support. It's not anything else. It's to assist in the quality of life for these kids at both homes. Mm -hmm. And, and that's what I made peace with and what I could see that, you know, if we can go do something special on the weekends here, well, those kids deserve to be able to do that at both houses. And that's what it takes. Then it's worth it. Mm -hmm. 100%. And it's just such a loaded, complicated topic too, because I can actually listen to, I, I can hear this in my head, people listening to this saying, well, what if the child support isn't going towards the kids? Or, you know, what if it's so much that it's just not fair? And there's there's all all of these different scenarios. The thing is, at the end of the day, it's probably, it's just not going away. Absolutely. And you know? so you can fight it, you can fight it, you can bitch about it, you can do all the things. Or you just accept it because it's like all of that stuff that, you didn't have control over before. Like it is what it is, right? Absolutely. It came before you and you you can't make a lot of these pieces go away and Mm -hmm. that's okay. You know, make peace with it as quickly as you can. And, and I fully understand the frustration when it's significantly harder when money is tight, you know, and in that event, I really encourage people to have those financial conversations. You know, if, if the frustration is because your household doesn't have the money or needs that money, well, then there's a few things that you can do, right? You can go back to court. If you don't want to go back to court or if it won't make change anything, then you have to have a financial conversation that says, what is, what is our five-year goal? What are we going to, you know, how are we going to make more money? Right. And that, Mm -hmm. that's really what my husband and I did. We dove into income streams and research on money and looking at, okay, you know, this, these are our bills. I brought student loans, for example, right? Like I'm still paying off my student loans. And so we both brought baggage. If you can take out the resentment of that financial baggage and just go, okay, what is our financial plan? How now we are this couple. Now we have this household how much money do we want to have in five or 10 years? And what is our plan to get there? Focus on Mm -hmm. that rather than where that money is going. And be proactive about it. Right. And that's what I love. I love in the book, you talk about how your, your husband was saying, we can just make more money. There's more money to be made. And I know that rubs people the wrong way. Some people say, well, that's not that easy. You know what? Nowadays you can find a way to make money doing so many different things. It really is in your power. If you want to start a side hustle or a side gig or, you know, all of those things. And then the rebuttal to that will be, well, and if we make more money, we owe more money. That's true. You're going to owe a percentage of that, but you, that's your reality. That's what you have to decide. Okay. Well, it is what it is. How are we going to meet our goals? while also acknowledging that these are our obligations. Like this child support payment is not going away. Absolutely. And I say, loud and clear, get a counselor, (laughs) go find a counselor somewhere. There's services everywhere. And and I probably start to sound like a broken record after a while, but I just believe it so wholeheartedly that these are the things that you need to be in there with your counselor talking about. These are the things that you need to address so that someone outside of your home and your relationship and your friends and your family can help guide you through how to let go of a lot of that resentment, how to make peace with these things. You have to get help to do that. I think. Yeah, no, I, I totally agree. 
you know, you talk about humanizing the ex in the book as well and how, you know, as you have gone through the process and as years have gone on, it, it's it's been about understanding, you know, you're you're a woman and you're struggling and you have your emotions and your feelings and she has her own experiences too. Can you dive into that a bit more? Because I think that that's something that a lot of stepmoms also need to hear. Absolutely. And that's another one of those embarrassing pieces, right? It's hard. There's a lot of shame around it. I think it was probably about halfway into it when we were willing to have conversations with each other, just basic conversations, not in depth, not just, you know, just willing to acknowledge each other at t-ball games and, you know, and, and text each other, you know, outside of yelling and screaming and being angry at each other. And that really had to happen. We really had to see people, see each other as, as whole humans. So it's not easy, but now what we've been able to do is I, you know, we've had these hard conversations. We've had, um, honestly, I've, even write about it. We've, we've had some drunken nights together um, and, and tears and, and, and I'm not in no way would I ever suggest that this would work for anyone and everyone. Um, I fully acknowledge how hard dynamics are for everyone. And so there's never, I never want the world to, to hear that, Oh, if you just do this, you can get along with the X. That's just, I, I fully understand that that is not an option for everyone. But I also fully believe that you can defuse some of the tension and some of the anxiety. And that's really where it came from. It wasn't, we never set out to say, oh, let's become friends. Oh, I really want to be friends with this person. Oh, I never want to be friends with this person. But what we, it happened, but it happened very slowly and naturally and organically And it happened because little by little, as we opened up, we saw each other as real people. So, you know, I I know her parents, she knows my mom, you know, like we, we know more about each other's home life than anyone else in the world, quite frankly. And it's a weird connection to share with an ex in that way, but it is, you know, and she knows the intimacies of my home and I know the intimacies of her home in a way that most of my friends do not, you know, Mm -hmm. I mean, you, you do like your kids go and they tell you what's happening there and you know, what's happening at the other house and they know what's happening at your house. So at some point, I think we just realized that the knots in our stomach and the anxiety and the hatred and the anger I, I came to appreciate that it was just hurting me, honestly, mm-hmm. that, that in, if I could not see this woman that is a part of my husband's life and a part of my stepkid's life, if I can't see her as a person with good and bad and flaws and strengths, then our families are going to be divided forever. You know, I, you know, you hear these horror stories, at least to me, they're horror stories, but you, know, you hear these grown children planning weddings, for example, you know, and, 
and they don't know where to put mom and dad at the wedding. Oh, that was me. They, yeah, right? So insert every scenario here for your grown children. And that is what I didn't want for my kids. All mm-hmm. of them. I didn't want the hatred and the anger to be there forever. And I didn't know if that was possible. I didn't know if we could extract any of it. But for my own sanity, I had to make some peace and try. And then try again and then try again and then try again. And knowing, you know, now I know her as a very full person. You know, I know I know a lot about her childhood now. I know why maybe she responds in some ways that she does. She knows the same about me now. And, and I don't, you know, I, now I would call it a friendship. But I don't think friendship, I think that that word gets thrown around. I don't think that has to be the goal, right? Like that doesn't, uh, you don't have to, as a, if you're a stepmom out there, a new stepmom, or even not new, and you're just tired of, of the, the angst in your home, it doesn't have to be a friendship. It just has to be seeing each other as full people. Like we, we get fed this narrative of people and then everything just supports that narrative. Instead of really sitting back and going, wait, 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 wait a minute, right? Like mm-hmm. my husband, you know, my husband is not innocent in this. I am not innocent in this. I'm really just trying. I love that. And for me, it's about realizing and just coming to terms with the fact like everyone's on their own journey in life. And again, the word journey is like friend. It's just over, it's overused, but it's true. And the way that an ex can see a situation is very different than, you know, you guys can see the same situation in so many different ways based on your own wounds and your own history and, you know, the dynamics of their relationship and your own insecurities, your own goals, just the outlook on life. There's so many different contributing factors. And that's why I agree. It's so important to just humanize them. Like, look, they are a person and everyone has their struggles too, right? And just kind of giving each other a little bit of grace, even when you don't agree even when you think that the way they are dealing with something is completely wrong and completely offside and, and maybe that you feel like they're not giving you that grace. Maybe you feel like they're not humanizing you. Absolutely. That, that is still so freeing is just to see them as a person and, and take a moment and just put yourself in their shoes. Say, what, what, what is motivating this? Like what, what are they maybe struggling with right now? Like what, what's happening? Absolutely. And you know, something I came to appreciate is that we hear, you know, the stories are just out there everywhere. Like it's not hard to find the story of hating the ex and, and hating the new wife and no one getting along. Unfortunately, that is the norm. And I wanted to shed light, hopefully on the idea that it can be that way. Right? Like you can choose to live that way for the next 10, 15, 20, 30, 40, however long your, your marriage lasts, years, but you don't have to. Mm-hmm. I feel like we get caught up in, oh, in just all the hurt. Yeah, the, let it go. Yeah. And let it go for you and for your kids. Absolutely. Because, you know, I even think, I'm thinking about my dad right now. And, uh, you know, he he's still so angry at my mom, right? He's just still, he, if, if you, if I, if I'm open to it, I can have a conversation about how much of quote unquote, his RSPs she got. 
<laughs> like I could, he would be ready to have a conversation about it right now and how unfair the system is. And my parents have been divorced. Well, like my little sister's 20, so 27 years. <laughs> like, and he's right. still, op- you know, and that's the thing. I think you have a choice as a stepmom or as a husband or a wife or what, whoever you are in this situation, you can just stay pissed off and stay hurt and blaming other people and, you know, be all up in your ego and all the things, or you can just let it go and accept what is. And it's not easy, but I think what's been so good about your book and just the conversations that you're having is you're saying it's hard, but it's possible just to keep going, right? Like these are the things that you need to accept because you can thrive amongst that extra stress and complications and judgment and all the things. Yes. And in my situation, I can only speak for myself, but I came into this relationship and we don't know everything that's always happened in the past, you know? So, so we're basing a lot of our belief set on hearsay, right? Like mm-hmm. there are two parties in every divorce. Yeah. And we, um, I think that what happens is that a divorce seems to work in reverse of dating, right? So when you date someone, you overlook everything every red flag that you should be paying attention to that is clearly telling you how that marriage foundation is going to be set up. Like, Oh, it's okay. Oh, it's I love them. Oh, yeah, I'm in love. We're gonna, it'll change. Well, whatever. Oh, that's just cute. Right. Everything is so cute and so acceptable. And then we divorce that same person and all of those things that we overlooked in the beginning. <laughs> now we can't overlook anything. Now everything means that you're out to ruin my life. You know, you went from, you married this person who clearly you could at some point fall in love with. And now you're divorcing this narcissistic piece of shit. Who's only out to hurt and ruin everyone, including your children. Like that's not a real narrative. It just Mm -hmm. isn't. Yeah. You see where you look or you see what you look, you see where you look. You get what I'm saying. See what you look for. Yeah. (laughs) See what you look for. Whatever. It's all in your head. Well, Jamie, thank you so much. So much. This has been so good. We're going to have to, uh, there's still so much I need to t- talk to you about. So we're going to have to do a follow-up episode for sure. It. You are amazing. Where can everyone find your book? What's, what's the deal here? Okay. So website, how many kids do you have.com or Amazon, you know, it's there, it's ready, prime it on over, please read it, leave a review. The reviews help so much as you know, and then also follow me on Instagram. I'm all over Instagram. I'm on Facebook. Um, and then I'm getting into some of the other ones, but I'm trying to keep myself sane right now. So uh, keep yourself sane. Yes. Instagram is my primary um, social media outlet. And it's how many kids do you have as well? Awesome. So how do you answer the question? How many kids do you have? I answer four. Love it. And now I try not to qualify everything in my life after I do it. Mm-hmm. Love it. Well, thank you so much, Jamie. I'm going to link this. I'm going to send everyone to this book. Guys, the book is good. Haven't read the whole thing yet, but like I'm obsessed with all of the chapters that I have read. Such important conversations. So thank you so much. Thank you so much. Okay, guys, if you like this podcast, please do me a little favor. Take a second and subscribe on iTunes and then screenshot this podcast. Give it a share in social media and tell your friends what you think. And hey, don't forget to tag me so that I can thank you for helping me spread the word. Thanks so much. And I will talk to you next week.